What is up, my powerful person? Welcome to the Be Powerful Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Powell, and I'm so grateful for you listening to the show. If you like the podcast, please remember to follow us. We are currently available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Wouldn't want you to miss an episode as we will be dropping a new episode every Friday. Shout out to my boy, Mike Schatz, who's been editing my audio. We're working really hard to get the audio sounding better and better each week. So hopefully you guys are appreciative of that. Thank you, Mike. I sure am. Also, please leave a review and let me know what you think of the show. It's a simple way to help us grow and let us know that you like what we're doing on the podcast. If you hear something during the episode that impacts you, please send it to a friend or loved one so that we can keep the Be Powerful message growing. Welcome to the fifth episode. This episode is a little bit different than the previous episodes. It's two parts. It was two hours and 20 minutes. And it's me telling my story of addiction. The first part is going to be more of my active addiction, what led me to using drugs, kind of my struggles in and out of recovery. And although it may seem like all my life consisted of was active drug use, there was a lot more periods of sobriety, happiness, overcoming things, really finding myself all throughout the uh, ups and downs. But this episode does pretty much focus in on the active addiction part. So if you don't want to hear about that, maybe skip this episode. But I do encourage you to listen to it as it will help you understand a little bit more about me and what my life has looked like the last decade and kind of how I've gotten to where I am today and why I started this podcast. So my guest is my buddy Dallas Terrell, who is a good friend of mine. He was present for a little bit of my addiction Uh, We used to use drugs together and we kind of went our separate ways. He's a little bit in the clouds as far as my story, but he is a certified addiction counselor and he has nine years sober. So I thought that he would be a great person to give me some feedback on my story and also to interview me. So a little bit about Dallas He is the co-owner of Rehab Road Trips, which is a business that him and his co-founder, business partner, Jeremy, started. Basically, it's videography for treatment centers, for behavior health. So they go to different treatment centers and they interview counselors and they, they vlog at the treatment center so that people can get a real authentic behind the scenes look of what a treatment center has to offer. It's a great place, great resource for anyone who is looking for a treatment center to send a friend or loved one. I will plug the information for his website and Instagram in the show notes. He's also a CrossFit level one trainer and has facilitated fitness and health groups for the substance abuse population. He's making a major impact in the substance abuse community. I'm super grateful to know him and I'm grateful to have him on this podcast. So without further ado, we will get started. Welcome Dallas Terrell to the Be Powerful Podcast. 
What's up, dude? Thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, for the listener, I was going to turn this podcast over to Dallas as the host because he wanted to interview me and I thought it'd be cool for you guys to kind of get to hear a little bit about me and my story and what inspired this podcast and what I'm all about. So yeah, turn it over to you, Dal. Yeah, dude. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to hear the story again. Um, I guess the only thing I would add is I'm pretty familiar with Brian's story, which is good. Um, we've known each other for a long time and I think Brian will probably get into that. If he doesn't long story short, me and Brian used to be drug addicts together and now we're brothers in sobriety. And so it's a, it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to be like super toxic to someone and then super helpful, um, on both sides of the coin. Yes. And we'll kind of get into to Brian's story and hopefully I'll ask some cool questions. I'm going to try to interview you as if I don't know. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. Definitely. Sick dude. Well, no time to prepare, no notes. This also isn't going to be like an AA speaker meeting. So if you're not into that thing, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, This will will be a little bit more dynamic. Yeah. Um, Just having a conversation. Yeah, exactly, dude. So let's see, Brian. I mean, I would usually leave it up to you on like where you want to start to like fill in the audience on some context of like who and what Brian Powell is and where, you know, where would you start in telling your story? Is that at age zero? Is that at age nine? Like, where do you want to start with the story? Yeah. Well, I would say um, just starting like in my general childhood, not necessarily a specific age, but when I was growing up, I had a pretty normal, you know, quote unquote normal, whatever that means, upbringing. Um, I came from a good family with financial stability. I lived in a, a good neighborhood with good people and families and you know i played sports and was in indian guides which is like boy scouts um did all of like the the norm you know just did all of the things that well-privileged person did growing up ski trips no ski trips i actually the first time the first time i skied or snowboard i've actually never skied before but the first time i snowboarded was when (laughs) when i moved to Park City, Utah, and met you. Gotcha. So I just asked um, because well-privileged family just reminds me of ski trip, right? Yeah, like synonymous or whitewater rafting. Yeah, like like that, right? Like that type of that type of environment. Oh, we're going on a trip to see the fucking lake house in Lake Michigan, you know, or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) that type of shit. Um, Picture is painted. There we yeah, go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so growing up, my dad played ice hockey. I played ice hockey. My brother played. My sister was learning how to skate at a very young age. Like our our lives revolved around hockey. Um, so from a from a young age, that's kind of what I remember. It was yeah, it was just kind of 
what we did. My dad was a coach of my team, my brother's team. Then we moved to Texas and that was when I was nine years old. The closest ice rink was like 45 minutes away. So hockey was like all of a sudden no longer really a part of our lives. And I just moved to this new school. I was in fourth grade. I guess I just kind of started surrounding myself with the wrong people. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to meet friends. And like I started off by like playing football, but I didn't seem to like fit in with like the football players and stuff. So then I kind of started hanging out with the kids who were like, toilet papering houses and skateboarding and burning trash cans and vandalizing people's Christmas lights and ding dong ditching and doing all, you know, that type of thing. And so I started hanging out with that crowd of people. I remember I had a friend and his mom smoked cigarettes and like in fourth grade, we stole his mom's cigarettes and we were smoking them out back their house. And I had a friend who had like a BlackBerry cell phone. It was like his dad's BlackBerry or something that didn't have service, but we could still go on the internet on it. And we would take his phone after school and we would go in the woods and we would like look at porn on this phone for like hours on it. I just started surrounding myself with those types of people, like hacking computers, smoking weed by like, you know, sixth grade, it wasn't really weed. It was like we were sold like crushed up stems or something. And we, we were smoking that. The goal was to to be bad and to and to do to go against the grain and to do what other maybe people who seem to be on the right track weren't doing. Right. You guys were so, pushing the limits a little bit. Pushing pushing the limits for sure. Yeah. And I started to feel um, like I was a part of something. I started to feel accepted. People looked at me as like, oh, like that dude's fucking cool. He'll do anything, mm-hmm. you know? And, 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 and so I found purpose in being, in going against the grain, basically, mm-hmm. you know? And then I started to actually get like bullied by that same group of friends. Oh, they wow. started to see my vulnerability and my weaknesses i guess they started like ditching me and they would like we'd be playing airsoft and they would gang up on me and shoot me with airsoft guns or they would you know pants me at school or something in the in the dudes locker rooms and they just started to like to pick on me it it was almost like my behavior of of wanting to be liked and doing a bunch of things like they, they realized that I was like vulnerable because I would, I do anything. So they were like, Oh, well we can fucking throw this dude around because he's just going to stick around because he just wants to be liked, you know, whatever. As I, you know, get into middle school and high school and stuff, I went through a long period of like being bullied and being uh, alienated and like rumors were started about me at school and like, it was like this, uh, this balance of like, I was trying to be cool and do stupid shit and get people to like me. But then on the other end of it, like I was being just thrown around and bullied by like the kids that I was trying to be liked by basically. Yeah. Um, Well, let me ask you, Brian, what did that do 
to you? Like, how did you internalize that? Cause that, like you say that and it sounds confusing. Like I want to fit in. I'm going to do these things to fit in with these people. But in turn, when I do those things, these people then fuck with me. So what is 13 year old Brian do with that? What does that turn into for you? If, if you know. Yeah. I was definitely like kind of confused by what was going on in the moment. And now like looking back at my past, Mm -hmm. I can kind of digest it a little bit better or I can kind of dissect it a little bit more. There was a certain group of people that I was able to like pick on and like, like, like it was like, I guess if you're, if you're thinking of like the different levels of, status and in, in all of like yeah. the clicks and stuff in in school it was like there was one group of friends that like i was like top dog and i was you know i'll do a bunch of stupid shit and get a bunch of props and people like me and then there was like the group that was pushing me around and bullying me that i was like trying to impress by like mm-hmm. being a fuck fuckhead in, in this friend group and so it was just like like i was trying to be liked by people that were quote-unquote higher up than me more popular than me whatever by doing what was being done to me to the lower class of right it's not so fucking yeah, 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 yeah. that's what growing yeah. up was like you know you sounds like you're kind of in the middle like I can't be friends with the people beneath me because I'm fucking with them. <laughs> I can't be friends with the people above me because they're fucking with me. Yeah. And so you were just like the, the mid-level drug dealer, you know? Yeah. Uh, was, was like not was making like, money, yeah. but is not... Like the middleman. Middleman. You were the... Uh, yeah, you were like the incubator of bullying, you know? Just kind of right there in the middle, dude. Right, Yeah. Yeah, it was like I was being bullied by these kids and then I would go and do what they were doing to me to like some of the weaker links. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like uh, hurt, hurt people, hurt people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that just gets yeah. casted from the top and just exactly. down and down and down and down. Yeah. Wow, okay, okay. Uh, so that was like uh, middle school leading like, up into high school or? Yeah, yeah, leading up into high school. And then right around the time where I was like getting my driver's license and I was like started to beat some of that bullying turmoil bullshit that I was going through and and started to really get more grounded in who I am and who my friends, who my real friends are and what I like to do and who I like to hang out with and stuff. Then I was uprooted to Park City, Utah, my junior year of high school, because my dad got a job out there. Our whole family, except for my brother, moved to Utah. My brother stayed in Austin because he was a se- he was going into his senior year of high school. And so he just like lived with a friend and finished off right. his senior year because he was like, I'm not fucking moving. You know? Yeah. 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 And so 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 then I moved to to Utah and by this time in high school, like I was already exploring with drugs. I did acid for the first time when I was 14 years old. I had taken some Xanax. I had sipped some lean. I had done, done some things for sure. And, you know, taking shrooms, all of it. When I 
got to Park City, it was like you lived in Park City. You kind of know how the people are there and, and kind of how the social scene was there. But I felt like I wasn't very accepted by the people that I was meeting my junior year of high school. I felt very out of place. I was like this Texas boy wearing fucking Sperry topsiders and polo shirts <laughs> and, you know, shit like that. And cause that's what was straight cool. out the golf club. Or yeah, the golf, exactly. Yeah, the golf country club. club. Country, country club, club yeah. yeah. You know, I moved to Park City, Utah, and these kids are wearing their pants down to their ankles, their fucking tall teeth. Ski culture, dude. Pierced, pierced earrings, pierced ears, long hair, backwards hats, you know, bandanas, all the shit. And I thought that was cool, obviously. And that's the irony. When I first met you, that's exactly how you looked. <laughs> like tall teeth. Diamond studded earrings, bandana. Like that was what, like when I think of young Brian, that's what I see. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. I know because I just so desperately wanted to fit in. That's all right. it was. Looking back at it, like I see pictures of myself when I was young, like wearing a triple XL t shirt. And I'm just like, dude, what the fuck were me, Calvin, Nolan King, and fucking. Matias Alvarez thinking. You know? <laughs> and that was before you even stepped foot in a gym. <laughs> that was well before. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was skinny as fuck, wearing huge clothes, and I looked like I was 14. Mm -hmm. Killing That's it. all accurate. Yeah. It's all accurate. <laughs> so, how long, just out of curiosity, how long did it take for the that switch to go from like longhorn polo and topsiders <laughs> to wearing like triple XL t-shirts, baggy pants. And I don't even know what kind of shoes air Jordans. <laughs> yeah, for real. How long was, was that? It was pretty quick. I mean, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like two weeks or like two Six semesters. Months. Six months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Six months. Checks yeah. out. It was a slow change, you know, like first came the, the XL finish line tall T. Then it was like the diamond double ring. XL. <laughs> it was like double XL, triple XL. Then we started making our own hoodies and shirts and oh God. Yeah. We're not going to go there. Mm -hmm. During that time, as I was like transitioning into this new fucking mountain fuck boy. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good word. This is hilarious. I, yeah, I started doing drugs. Like Chris came into play mm -hmm. and for the listener, Chris was the first person who I ever did heroin with. He was a friend of mine who was also new to Park City. He had moved from Michigan. So we were both new, both juniors in high school, both had no friends, both impressionable, vulnerable people that just wanted to be liked. Mm -hmm. And he had a prescription to Clonopin. And so we start taking Clonopin all the time. And then we're skipping school. When we do go to school, we're feeling ourselves because we're on this drug that's making us feel confident and making us feel good in our own skin. So I start to find purpose. I start to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting grounded again. I'm, I'm finding my people. I'm, starting to be liked. I'm taking on this new fashion as a 
fucking mountain boy. <laughs> mountain boy. Yeah, then then it was just like, you know, one day I was hanging out at Chris's house and I walked into like he he disappeared. We were we were hanging out drinking, doing clonopin, playing video games, and he disappeared. And I was like, where the fuck did he go? And it, it just it didn't feel right. And I was like, he was gone for a while. It was like 45 minutes. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go fucking find this dude. And so I go downstairs, I look everywhere, I can't find him. And I see a light on in his mom's bathroom. And so I was like, oh, well, there he is. And so I go in there, I push the door open, and he's like, you know, nodded out, smoking hair up against the up against the wall. So I like, you know, push the door in and stuff, and I start talking to him and asking him what that is and stuff. And he's like, you know, obviously the normal thing when somebody walks in on you doing heroin, like, you know, don't fucking tell anybody about this. Like, I'll give you some if you just don't don't say a word, like blah, 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 whatever. And so I was I I was down. I was like, I was fucked up already off the clonopin and booze. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm down to try it, you know? And so I smoked some heroin and yeah, he, he kind of was like, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to do this again. It's just going to be like a one-time thing. And then the next day he was like, Hey, like, can you give me a ride down to Heber so I can get some more black, you know? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, let's do it one more time. And one more time became an everyday thing, you know? Yeah. And it just, it escalated from there. I met you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I think I think what happened was I got a DUI. No, 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 that was after I met you, right? When I got the DUI for yeah, that was after I met you. But I remember one one day me and Chris had stolen some skis out of somebody's garage and we were going to meet up with the person to sell them to and that person was like these are my skis, you know. And then uh, mm-hmm. And then the cop showed up and he got arrested. And then it was like, he got sent off to rehab or something. And then Chris was gone. He was out of the picture. And without Chris, I didn't know where to get heroin. And I just kind of, you know, it was just like, whatever. All right. Well, I guess we're not doing heroin anymore. Then I met you. <laughs> I filled the gap. <laughs> you filled the gap. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And so wow. when I'm, when I met you, I looked up to you. I thought you were super fucking cool. I liked just who you were and the way that you carried yourself. Yeah, I've always admired you as a person. And I had always wanted to be more like you and stuff. And, you know, me and Remy, your sister, were hanging out all the time. And so I was always over at your house. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't and think you, I was getting too messed up back then. Like I was partying, but I wasn't like strung out on heroin back then. I mean, it was definitely it was definitely present because I remember you were like on the Vivitrol shot or whatever, and that oh, was like, yeah, that was like one of the reasons why you weren't using. But you and I had like talked good point. about it. Yeah, yeah, you and I had like talked about it and stuff. So it was kind of almost just like I had known that you had a little past of heroin use in mm-hmm. Phoenix and stuff. And I was basically kind of trying to like get that out of you, you know, gotcha. like, like kind of talking to you about it and kind of trying to pick your brain and figure out like, 
can we do it sometime? Can you get it? Like that type of, you know, that type gotcha. of Gotcha. And then I feel like that's kind of, and I mean, we were, you know, we were hanging out and we were smoking weed and we were vibing and we were, we were friends, but then it was like, you know, when you got back on heroin, it was like that kind of became our friendship, you know, mm-hmm. was like, gotcha. Was using together. Yeah. 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 No, I loosely remember all that. That's why I'm like, I'm like listening to you, your story now to like, remember mine. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I start using drugs. We start doing them together. Now, where do we go? <laughs> yeah. It was kind of, I mean, that's, that's just kind of goes to show what drugs do to you. Right. It's like, okay. Yeah. So we started doing heroin and then four now, years went by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I don't know where my fucking life went. Maybe where we go is we go to like leading up to you going to treatment for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, yeah. Unless you think there's anything else kind of in that using heroin stage that's important. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything really besides just, I found this drug that made me feel okay in my own skin and Mm -hmm. it made me feel relaxed and confident and like I could do anything. And then it very quickly became this extremely tight grip where it's like, I couldn't even go a few days without, you know, Mm -hmm. let alone 24 hours without it. And it did like, from my perspective, it did become a way that I bonded with you and with Steven yeah. and with Jack and with some of the other guys who were doing it again, I felt accepted by you guys. I felt great. Cool. I felt wanted, you, you know, whatever. I felt worthy from hanging out with you guys and stuff. And I forgot that we had kind of like our own click. Of oh yeah. We had our heroin own addicts. I heroin forgot about that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about where it was that. just like, you were like the older brother. Right. Right. Uh, that we would kind of gravitate towards me, Steven and Jack and whoever else. I can't remember, but pretty much just us three. Mm-hmm. And we would gravitate towards you because we were selling weed and selling Xanax and doing heroin here and there. Like it, it was like we were kind of like the drug dealers, like the drug people, you know? Yeah. And you were the older brother that we got all the drugs from pretty much, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I think that's important. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but where did you end up? When did you end up going to treatment for the first time? So you went to you went to Cirque, yeah, and like three months later, I went to Cirque as well. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. And how was that for you? How was Cirque, Cirque Lodge? If anyone doesn't know, that's where Lindsay Lohan went <laughs> in Provo, Utah. <laughs> yeah, Cirque Lodge is a pretty well well uh renowned would that be the word well, that's renowned. the perfect word yeah in cirque lodge you get 50 percent off if you live in utah so we're not like these fucking billionaires it's yeah. just it's cheaper for residents of utah right exactly when i went to detox right i don't know if you remember but oh, i shit. yeah you like brought me heroin when i was living or when i was in detox at the hospital you know yeah then you brought me heroin multiple times when I was remember because I went to so so I went to treatment and lo and behold one of your friends from Phoenix 
was, oh, was in, in there was in treatment at Cirque. So I met yeah. like the first fuckhead that I met just happened to know Dallas Terrell. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? So yeah. Graham was this, a fuckhead too. <laughs> Graham was a fuckhead, which shout out to Graham. If he's listening, he's three years sober now doing yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a kid and I think a wife and, and he's, he's, he's living well. So mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening, there is hope for everyone. There is totally hope. Yeah, there is totally hope. And that's, that's the main point of this, of this episode is, is we are going to talk about the hope that comes. That's the hope there. That we know. <laughs> the hope that's there. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So my experience at Cirque was like, I was not getting sober at all. I was using. Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I got kicked out after 56 days because I got caught with a cell phone because I was trying to call you to get more heroin. Like that was. Right. You know, yeah. That makes sense. Nat- naturally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what happened after surf? You, you, you so then to, I went to, remember I kind of followed in your footsteps. So I went to sky house, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was at sky house and I got a sky sky house is a, a sober living house outside mm-hmm. of park city, Utah. Dallas had also gone there. So yeah, my, my mindset was like, oh, well, Dallas went to Cirque and Dallas went to Sky House and look at how well Dallas is doing, which I think wasn't you were very well. <laughs> was not very well. No, but I think you did well for like three months. You did well for like three months, you know, mm-hmm. and in those those three months, I was like watching your your path and I was like, oh, well, maybe I can get sober doing that same thing, you know, mm-hmm. but I was lying to myself. I was not even sober. Anyway, I went to Sky House and then I went and I got a job at Victory Ranch Golf Course. And like mm-hmm. two weeks into working at Victory Ranch, I snorted meth off the golf cart with one of my coworkers. So then I tried meth and that lit a fire under my ass, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Tell me more literally. about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might get to that. But. Yeah, so I tried meth and I was like, holy fuck, like this exists. Okay. And then I was in, you know, I was in uh, sober living and I got away with using the meth. And then I went to a meeting down in Salt Lake. And actually, you were there. You were at like Recovery Ways at the time or something. I met up with Drew Simmons at that meeting and got heroin from him while you were in treatment and I was in sober living. Wow. So like basically there was just a lot of fuckery fuckery going on yeah. around there. Yeah. Yep. For a long time of like mm-hmm. me acting like I'm getting sober. Yeah. It just became about same sort of thing in my childhood. Like this purpose that I was yeah. developing around like being a bad boy, I guess, you know? Yeah. And then not being accepted in recovery and not being accepted in addiction and then exactly. being kind of in the middle again of, yeah. Who am I? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who am I for sure? A lot of that. So do you want to jump to maybe like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll kind of leave it up to you. I know there's more treatment stents along the way, even yeah. to up to a year ago. Yeah. And I also know that you've had periods of sobriety and they've all built off of each other. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to like skip them. Because your sobriety now is a complete testament to 
your other bouts of sobriety and just like learning, fucking up, learning, fucking up, learning, fucking up. And now we're at like, hopefully this final iteration kind of thing yeah. uh, of kind of where you're at now. Um, right. What was your longest period of sobriety? Yeah. Um, what's the longest period you have had? The longest period I have had is where I'm at now, which I will have nine months in two days. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the longest period of sobriety I've had. Let me jump to like right after kind of, I did meth at that sober house and and Mm -hmm. was using at the sober house. And then I got kicked out and went back to living with my parents. And I was just kind of doing the, Oh yeah. I was doing like the park city, like, you know, workout and just party on the weekends and like, whatever, go out on main street, go to the bars and Mm -hmm. hanging out with Edgar and Shlopey and, you know, some of those people who in my mind, I thought kind of had it together. And I was just, just, you know, I was just like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good now. I'm, I just need to not do heroin and I'll be good. You know, Mm -hmm. then actually this was a, this was at the time when you had just gotten back from Narcanon for the first time or something. And we all started working for Pete. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So we all started working landscaping together and that's when shit got heavy as fuck because now I was doing meth. I was doing crack here and there with you. I was doing heroin and then like me and Devin were hanging out and I shot meth and, and once somewhere in there, like, I shot up for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. when I shot up, then that just became like, there's Routine. no longer any other way to use drugs. It's like, that's, that's how we're doing it. So yeah, I got to like one of the worst places in my addiction, I would say like really strung out on meth, really addicted to heroin as well. And just really tied up in that whole <laughs> lifestyle, which, which for me, my meth use was, surrounded by it was just porn and sex and sexual deviancy to the max that's that's all it was so i got really tied up into that and that was super new for you right that was super new for me yeah yeah and that was as soon as i once i shot up meth and realized what that felt like and how it's Mm -hmm. like having 500 orgasms at once i went on a really dark road after that mm-hmm. yeah kind of disconnected with most of the people that i was hanging out with and i just started going on these journeys where i would just stop talking to everybody and turn my phone off and just go on these sex fueled meth benders and yeah i did that for about probably six months and got down to i was like 153 pounds you know, to put it in their perspective now, I weigh 210. But yeah, it was just like the most, like the most psychosis. Like I had gone to the hospital multiple times for like what I thought was like meth overdose, but really it was just like, I had been up for seven days with no food and very minimal water and my organs were failing. And like, I was just, I was done basically. Right. But I wasn't in a crisis. I wasn't what I thought where, 
one time my dad like rushed me to the emergency room and we almost got in a car accident thinking that my heart was about to explode but really i was just fucking spun the hell out on meth you know Mm -hmm. and so then i end up going to like my parents they really didn't know what to do with me like they kept putting me in detox i would leave detox they would try to get me a counselor or you know i would work the program of of the 12 steps and basically trying all these different things and nothing was working and i kept just doing what i was doing and at this time it was like right when my parents had divorced and so it was like my dad was living down in salt lake city my mom's living in park city my dad's going out of town and stuff and i have access to his house and shit that he doesn't that he didn't really know about or like he did you know he was like but he just trusted me or something like didn't think that I would just go hang out at his house while he was out of town. But Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of manipulate my, my parents and my friends and stuff. And I was just, you know, doing what people in active addiction do. So I got to this point where it was just like, you know, they didn't know what to do with me. So they found this place in East Texas and it was like a ministry for, It was like a ministry for people with addiction and past traumas and stuff. And so they sent me out there. I went out there, couldn't even get on the plane by myself because I had such bad psychosis from how much meth I was doing. And my mom had to like walk me on the plane and like sit me down and like make sure that I was okay to like safely get to Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so I show up at this place and I had a a very profound experience with kind of accepting God into my life and the willingness to try something else and to believe that maybe this dark meth fueled life was not the one for me. Like I started kind of giving my life to God, basically. Like Mm -hmm. it was very Christian, Southern Baptist, very, yeah, just very Christian. And So I was going to Bible study. I was Bible study every day. I was going to prayer groups. I was going to Christian recovery meetings. I was reading the Bible at night and really just that was kind of like born again, Brian, you know, I went through that phase of of really just loving God and, and just feeling like I found resurrection in God, right? A new life. But it was also kind of, it was also kind of an act. It was also kind of me like manipulating because there was this dude at that program who lived close by his uncle, like cooked meth at this property that was close by this program that we're staying at. This guy brought meth into this facility. And I mean, it wasn't a facility. It was like a, it was just a little ministry, you know, it's just like we were living in a little trailer basically. Mm Mm-hmm. With a, with a family that was just trying to help, just trying to do God's work, and just help people. We started doing meth. We, you know, got needles and we got meth and we were there for, I was there for six months. It was a period of time when the people who owned the ministry were gone for two weeks and they just like trusted us with one of the counselor girls who was there and stuff. And it was just, it was not a structured program. And I took full advantage of that and shit just went haywire. Yeah. I and, that. But the whole time, but the whole time I was there, I was convincing everyone that I was 
sober the whole time. And I was having a powerful experience with God. I will admit that I was having a powerful experience with God. And so in my heart, I was hoping that some of this foolish shit that I was doing, like still using was going to just wash away in the blood of Jesus. So, you know, <laughs> save you from yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was going to work out anyway. So then, then comes, you know, time to go back to Utah and my, my mm-hmm. parents were really excited with how far I had come and, and this new, this new life and this new Brian. And you know how sobriety can be like you, you look different, you sound different, you act different, you are different. And so everyone believed that I was completely different. And then, they all thought that you had six months clean and found Jesus. They didn't know about relapses and stuff. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then within seven days of being back in Utah, I had my first overdose on heroin with our buddy Aiden. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to just like, you know, use that overdose as like, okay, I'm done. Like, I will never do that again. Like I, I learned my lesson. That's never going to happen again. You know, scared you straight kind of thing. Scared me straight kind of thing. Yeah. And I started going to a church and meeting with this guy who was like a spiritual mentor. And I thought, you know, things were going to be good, of course. And then three months later, I'm smoking meth at the homeless shelter down in Salt Lake city. Mm Mm-hmm. So right back to the stomping grounds. At that point, I got on Vivitrol, which is, you know, the opiate blocking shot. So for the listener who might not know what Vivitrol is, it's a 30-day opiate blocking injection that you get. And so it it can help people in active addiction because if they get high, try to get high while on that shot, they won't actually feel the effects of the drug. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it really works. is. I've tried. It you works. Can't get high when you're. I high. have tried. I have tried too. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, if you do enough, you can break through it. But then you're probably gonna die. But anyway. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So during that period, I got really heavy on meth again, and it was like I just was trying to do the the whole get a job, party on the weekends, try to do things normal in Salt Lake City, like you know, normal people do, but I was doing Xanax and I was doing meth and I was doing all these other drugs that other people weren't doing. So then, you know, I had another, had another hospital visit from meth or multiple hospital visits. And then I ended up coming to elevate, Mm -hmm. which is where Dallas was working at the time. So you were Mm -hmm. one, you were, you were probably about a year sober around the time or seven months or something sober when I came out to elevate probably a little bit more, probably yeah. like two, two and Was a half, th- maybe. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, following in your, in your footsteps, you know, came out to, came out to elevate to get sober and things went really well for me out there. You know, yeah. you want to, say a little bit about like how you became a staff member at Elevate and stuff, how that whole process works. Yeah. So right around the time Brian was, we were working together landscaping and I was in between rehabs. Like I had finished rehab, got strung out landscaping with Brian, got arrested 
And then I went straight back to rehab, like all within like, this was like two, three months of time. Yeah. And then, so when I went to elevate, I did the program and I started working there because I knew while I was there, I felt the best. I was like, dude, when I'm at this place, I don't feel like using. And so if I just never leave this place, I might be able to like accrue some time in sobriety. And so that's what I did. And then from there, just kind of grew in the organization, became like a, a KDAC or certified addiction counselor. Yeah. And then I think I put together maybe like two, two and a half years at that point. And somehow I, I've always kind of kept in touch with Brian through his ins and outs. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how we got you there, but you probably reached yeah. out and I was like, dude, come, come try this program. It was a 90 day holistic fitness, mindfulness, they call it 12 step alternative. And it's just a little bit of a different kind of program. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the general principles and tools that, you know, 12 step teaches, uh, woven in, into the program. So it's just something a little bit different. And, uh, yeah. And Brian came and how long did you do 90 days, 60 days? You no, know, So I ended up doing, I ended up doing, remember I went to Lake Tahoe. So they had a sister oh, facility yeah. out in Lake mm -hmm. Tahoe. I did like four months in Santa Cruz where Dallas was. And then mm -hmm. I went to the place out in Lake Tahoe and did like another two months. And then I became a staff member there. Like I did their internship, which is the same program that Dallas did, which, mm -hmm. you know, I was just trying to follow in your footsteps and do what you did to get sober, you know? And, at least uh, this time it was working. Yeah. At least this time. And this time it was authentic. You know, this time yeah, it was, it was a different person. This time it was working. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I ended up getting caught up with some, some stupid shit. Like I was doing like bad checks and there was a girl that was in my program that I was now like, we had, we had always kind of like flirted around and stuff. And like, I was now a staff member and she was still in her program. And so I was doing like a bed check and I like went into her room and like fooled around or something. And then that was like my first warning. Like if anything else happens, you're getting on a plane and you're, you're out of here. Okay. And then like literally less than, less than a week later, I, I was at the grocery store on a Sunday. I literally, I didn't have like any money because my parents were, just trying not to support me and stuff. And so I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out, you know? And I was like in the process of getting food stamps and trying to get back on my feet. But, you know, I've always been into fitness and, and eating healthy and stuff. And so I would live like I had money where I should have been eating canned tuna and fucking wrecks and beans, you know? But I would go and I would just steal things from the grocery store. And that's how, you know, eat well and stuff. So I, I stole like a fucking bag of pistachios or something. And like, <laughs> I got caught and like at the front, I was getting like confronted by this store and just so happened to be on a Sunday afternoon at the store. And, and, and Lake Tahoe is a really small, small town, mm -hmm. but the director, the director of the rehab was at the store. And it was like, they were just out to get me type thing. And now I look at it as it was just like, God, like trying to tell me that this just wasn't going to work, that I'm not ready and all that shit. 
But yeah, so I got kicked out. So within like literally on that Sunday, they called my dad. They're like, yeah, Brian's done. He can't be here anymore. And they brought me to the Reno airport and they sent me back to Austin. Somewhere in between, you know, the last six months, my dad had moved from Salt Lake City back to Austin. Yeah, so he's in Austin. So then I was like, oh, well, whatever, you know, little, you know, mess up at the Still sober. Still sober. I'm good, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so I was like seven months sober, I think. Yeah. Um, But I really hadn't changed the way that I was living my life. And I started working for this moving company. And on this moving job, I met this dude who was super fucking jacked and he had a bunch of tattoos and he just looked super awesome. And I was like, dude, how did you get that fucking jacked? You know? And he was like, he's like, steroids. I did. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course, you know, 24 year old Brian, like wanting to be fucking jacked. I was just literally so infatuated by the thought of doing steroids. I went home and I just researched for hours on end, like staying up super late, reading all the bodybuilder forums, like learning everything I possibly could about steroids and stuff. Then I got on steroids and that was seemed great for six weeks or so. And like, I was just feeling strong and confident and starting to, get this muscle that I'd never seen before and building this body that looked super masculine and awesome. And I was just like, man, I'm going from this skinny fucking tweaker to, you know, a jacked, confident, masculine man. And I was, mm-hmm. I was really liking that. And I was, I was liking the way it felt and I could feel myself starting to get obsessive with it, but I still was just like, I was so in denial of the fact that it was, just me using another crutch, putting needles in my body in another way to change the way that I'm feeling because I don't feel okay as Brian in my own story. Yeah. Or jumping into a new group of people to, to be accepted by, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, you know, living downtown Austin in 2016, like my dad had a 30th story penthouse at a really nice building and like Mm -hmm. i had just moved there and i was meeting people and really starting to explore this new austin life and i was really liking it and and you were still sober right i was still sober minus the steroids you know right so i was just like yeah why not yeah and then yeah all of a sudden dude like two months into being on the steroids i found oxycontin i don't remember how i think that i think it was like craigslist casual encounters or something back in the day like meeting up with some random person for drugs or sex or whatever and i found somebody with oxycontin pills and i got two of them and literally without even thinking i just shot them up like i took one of my steroid needles and i just i shot them up i just decided one day i'm just like i'm gonna get high and so i did and yeah, then I went on another wild bender and ended up living at this motel in downtown Austin because my dad kicked me out and I was living with, you know, 
it was it was it was the meth environment i was living with transgender prostitutes and i was living with drug dealers and all kinds of people that i should not have been living with and back right into the throes of addiction didn't have much money i'd only worked like two months working for this moving company didn't have a car. My dad, as soon as he found out that I relapsed immediately, took my car away, kicked me out of his house and was just like, all right, if you're going to, if you're going to use, like, you're going to fucking fall on your face immediately. You know, like I'm going to make sure of that type thing, because that's all that ever really works for getting us to get our shit together, you know, is, is to have everyone let go of us and not, and not enable, enable us you. Yeah. Sort of way. Yeah. This was another one of probably the, I mean, it's like every time is like the darkest time, you know? Yeah. So this was just like another version of like a, yeah, just getting worse and worse every time, digging my hole deeper and deeper. Yeah. I was, I was running around with prostitutes and drug dealers and I was like this clean cut pretty boy that they liked and they wanted to get free drugs and, I was having sex and doing all kinds of other things for those drugs and selling myself, you know, just all of it, yeah. all of the stuff that comes in, you know, with, with drug addiction. And, mm-hmm. um, finally I had a moment of clarity and I just told my dad, I was like, yo, pick me up. Like I'm going to like take me to treatment. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Let's go. And so he took me to treatment at this place out in, somewhere in Texas and I did well there. It was only a month. Then I went back to sober living. I was in sober living for a little while, made it like three months sober, got my car started uh, working towards being a certified personal trainer. And then just one day decided I was going to do meth again. And it was all usually just thinking I had, everything under control, thinking I could stay sober on my own self will thinking I didn't need a program. I didn't need sober house. I didn't need recovery. I didn't need all the different things that they suggest to get sober and stay sober and, and carry the message and be of service and everything. I just didn't do that type of stuff. You know, I had a, I had a resentment towards the program because yeah. I just, you know, and, and you can relate to that. And a lot mm-hmm. of people can relate to that, resenting the, the 12 steps and stuff because they tell you you're an addict, they tell you you're hopeless and you need this program in order to stay sober. But it all comes from a good place because it does fucking work. Mm-hmm. They're trying to help you find community and connection through a higher power and share the message and stuff. But anyway, so yeah, I ended up relapsing, went on another thing, overdosed, then I went back to the same treatment center that I had gone to like four months prior. And this is where I met this girl that I dated for three years and we did somewhat well together. Um, we were definitely very in love. It's, she was my first real love, but she brought out some things in me and I brought out some things in her that just didn't serve us, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're both in sober living. We made it like seven months sober again this time, like seven months is like my number. That was when I would get sober for about seven months and then I throw it all away. 
So I become house manager of this sober house. And then I started selling steroids. I got, got on steroids and started selling steroids and just thought I was Mr. Cool, just fucking same old shit, drug dealer, except it's with steroids. So I, I justified it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then Haley, my ex-girlfriend, she started drinking. And then we were in this relationship that was really beautiful when we were both clean, but really bad when she was getting drunk and when I was using drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. And around this time, I was really starting to kind of question whether this was a life just I, I wanted more. I wanted to get better. You know what I mean? I wanted to get better, but I still wasn't willing to get sober. So I started doing uh, mushrooms. And this is the time when I just became infatuated with mushrooms. And I was microdosing mushrooms all the time. I was working for this pool cleaning company at the time. And I would, I would microdose mushrooms and I would listen to this personal trainer podcast the whole time that I was cleaning pools and just envisioning myself as a personal trainer. Mushrooms really did help me heal a lot and they helped me see some of my destructive patterns. And I did make a lot of progress with mushrooms. I definitely feel like there was a reason for that whole psychedelic chapter in my life when I was microdosing like every day, you know? Yeah. But I was also just using it as a crutch, you know, I was, it was just, it was just another crutch, but it was helping me to see that I can do anything. I can be anything. I'm in charge of my thoughts. I'm in charge of my future and where my life goes based on my thoughts and my choices. Which was new for you. Which was new for me. Totally. Yeah. 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 Which was very new for me. I was always like this victim of my just mental state. Yeah. And you had never really known what you wanted to be or do. So the mushrooms helped you at least, or you perceive the mushrooms as helping you at least find a direction and a path that was helpful for you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 It became kind of the start to something new, start to, to a new life for me. But just like steroids, you know, kind of using another substance to be okay. Right. Another external solution. Another external solution that wasn't like, I felt like, like it's, it's a really hard. And like, if I'm being honest, I have reservations around mushrooms and I always will, but I'm really trying to get to a point in my life where I just want to be sober always like mm-hmm. at least for the next couple of years but like i w- i'm lying if i say that there's not some sort of reservation in the back of my mind that like eh, maybe in five years or something i can start doing mushrooms again you know but yeah. like but seeing you with 10 years sober like i'm like i want that you know mm-hmm. i want that yeah the mushrooms led me to just thinking a lot more outside the box like oh my god i can become anything i can do anything and I actually had visions of this podcast. I really did. I had visions of talking on a platform, just like all these podcasts that I would listen to when I was cleaning pools. We'll fast forward to when me and Haley broke up. So like around this time, I was becoming pretty infatuated with 
psychedelics, selling them, doing acid, doing DMT, doing everything, ketamine, everything that was like psychedelic that I could justify. And then a little bit of Molly here and there. And so I was doing all these like what I would call productive drugs at the time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, at the time. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing productive about smoking DMT in a fucking car with your friend who is not a good influence and using the DMT that you bought from a drug dealer that also sells cocaine and Xanax and all, you know, there's a, there's a certain time and a place for doing a, you know, a plant medicine drug like that, you know? Yeah. You weren't searching out the spirit molecule. I was not searching out the spirit molecule. No, I was just trying to feel something crazy. So Haley started to see that I was becoming infatuated with psychedelics and Along with that came a lot of judgment towards her and her drinking and the way that she lived her life and the way that she thought about things. And I wanted to explore Austin and get into, at the time, like group workouts and yoga classes and connecting with more quote unquote high vibrational spiritual beings and stuff. Like I, I wanted more for our relationship and she didn't quite take that as like, I wanted this for us. It was more like, you're not like she kind of, and because of my mental state and my, my own insecurities and my own low self-worth, sometimes I attacked her. The cause of your problems. The cause of my problem. Yeah. Like if you would just do this with me or you would just, work out more. I was really passionate about fitness and eating right and spirituality and psychedelics and expanding consciousness through, you know, Mm -hmm. powerful conversations with people, whatever. And so it just pushed us away. Right. Right. Pushed us away. We ended up breaking up and this was after three years and it was like the most devastating thing that I've ever gone through in my life. Like I, I've never cried so much. Like I was just choking on tears every day. And like, it was just like this unimaginable pain that I just felt like a piece of myself died. And because there was this, there was this hope for like, we fell in love sober. And so there was this hope for like, if we were just sober all the time and and, and we really could have worked through some things a little bit more, like maybe that could have worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sometimes sense. I still believe like, you know, anyone that you're in love with, like I hear that all the time. Like, Oh, I, I still feel like that's my person. Like I definitely mm-hmm. feel like Haley's my person. Anyway. So we broke up. I moved in with my brother and my brother went on this like month long road trip. And so he was gone. And the whole time I was just like living at his house and I had a safe full of drugs. At this time I was selling weed mushrooms ketamine acid molly like you know i had all these ghb all these different drugs that i could like justify as like they're not like heroin crack meth you know all the xanax all the pills and right that's shit so i move in with with my brother i've got all these drugs and stuff and like then this was right around covid also and like i was a personal trainer i skipped that part i was a personal trainer at gold's gym and 
I was furloughed and I got unemployment. And that's when I started my online coaching business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had, I had met some people that have, were, have, were successful with online coaching here in Austin. And I was very inspired by them to start my own thing. And so I started putting myself out on Instagram. And if anybody listening ever wants to, you know, see where the whole thing originated from, it's like, you know, just scroll all the way down in my Instagram and look at some of my videos when I first started putting myself out there, dude, I was terrified. I was terrified. Like I could not speak in front of the camera. I would get so nervous. I had these major panic attacks and Haley, my ex-girlfriend, she stood by me through all of that stuff. So that was that was a huge part of our our breakup too. It was like I'm trying to put put myself out there on social media. She didn't know how to hold space for me in that sense. I didn't know how to hold space for her because I was too stressed out. And so it was just just wrong wrong place, wrong time, whatever. So then I ended up relapsing again. It was like it started with I would take shots in the morning so that I would just not cry all day. And then that was some Xanax and microdosing mushrooms and smoking weed and all this stuff. And then eventually it just led to meth. And I went back to using the hard stuff. I had a big overdose that ended with kidney failure. So I went to the Mm -hmm. hospital for an overdose and they were checking my kidneys out and they were like, you're, in acute kidney failure, like you're going to need to go to ICU probably for the next 10 days. Like you're pretty much dying. So I went, you know, and and did the ICU stay at the hospital for 10 days. And I think that's where I became really clear on like what be powerful is for the first time. Like, okay, this is, this is my legacy. This is my story. This is what I want to create. I want to, encourage people to find strength in themselves through hearing my story and hearing other people's story and connecting through vulnerability and hearing the hearing the stories of other people but also like it was like a you know it was a fitness thing at the time like I wanted to help people mm-hmm. through fitness and mindset and nutrition and all the things right but now i'm starting to starting to find division and it's more of like public speaking and like podcasting and like sharing my story and going to events and speaking and 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 that type of thing but yeah anyway anyway like i i had the initial vision when i was in the hospital for kidney failure dude to fast forward like we gotta we gotta just get to the get to the end but Basically, you're, you're like, pretty close. Pretty close, yeah, pretty close. Yeah, so I get out of the hospital for kidney failure, and I was like trying to stay sober again. Like, scared myself to death. Like, oh, I'm never using again. Like, I fucking just died of kidney failure. Like, there's no way. That was like my third overdose. Like, there's no way I'm gonna do that again. And then, with the stress of entrepreneurship and stuff, and like continuing to run my business but also i was it was like this facade that i was creating like as long as i could make sure that it looked like i was doing okay on social media that everything was 
everything was cool in my mind, right? As long as it looked like I had a successful business, as long as it looked like I was connecting with people, as long as it looked like I was inspiring people, I'm good, right? Yeah. And the fact was, was throughout the day, I was still struggling with my addiction. I was microdosing mushrooms and smoking weed and meeting up with people to sell bags of weed and mushrooms when I should have been doing client check-ins and I should have been working with my clients. I should have been building out systems for my business. I should have been, you know, spending time by myself journaling and, and visualizing what I wanted to create. It was like, I started just doing whatever the hell I wanted to do just because I had a roster of clients that were paying me and it looked like from my social media interaction that like my business was successful, right? Mm -hmm. When really it wasn't, I wasn't successful at all. I was self-medicating every single day. I was, for lack of better words, I was crumbling on the inside. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up relapsing again, you know, and I ended up going on another bender. And, and this time it only lasted like a week or two. And then paramedics showed up in my house because I had some hypothermia, like meth intoxication type thing, like did too much meth basically and had to go to the hospital. So then I ended up going to treatment again. I went to treatment. This was in 2022, beginning of 2022. I went to treatment. I got out after 45 days. I went to sober living. By this time, I really, really, really thought that I would never fucking use again. Like, I really, truly thought that I was done. And again, I made it about seven months. After seven months, I became house manager at the house I was living at and started doing Kratom. I was doing oh, Kratom. Shit. I was doing Kratom like every single day. I was new to it. For the listener, if you don't know what Kratom is, it's a plant medicine of some sort that they sell at smoke shops or they sell it at health health food places and some people have great you know results it's basically a synthetic opiate right it, it's a it's synthetic, synthetic yeah yeah but for some people like i know people who just casually are like yeah i just had some kratom in my fucking smoothie this morning you know like shit mm -hmm. like that it's like okay well i'm taking we also know dudes that smoked heroin with us once every six months yeah, you know, exactly. It's like those those true. unicorns exist, dude. Those, those unicorns yeah. exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kratom for me, it was like I would do, I would go and buy a bag that's supposed to last a normal person. Like I was seeing this girl at the time, and she was like, "Yeah, I take two kratom capsules." I was like, "Oh, I've taken forty today already," and she was like, yeah. "Oh my god, I would probably throw up if I took that many." And I was like, "Oh shit." She's like, well, you definitely need to get off that shit. Like you're in active addiction right now. Like you're not sober. And I yeah. was like, I was like, mm, damn, she's right. Mm -hmm. And so I knew all along what was happening, but I didn't, I didn't want to admit it. Like I knew that I was slipping back into relapse mode, but I didn't want to admit it. And me and my other buddy who was also house manager, like we were both doing it together. And it was like Ooh, secrecy. Secrecy. Yeah. It was like every day, like we'd be like, all right, we're stopping. Like, don't get any today. 4 p.m. would roll around and I call him and be like, yo, like, did you get some today? And he'd be like, yeah. 
I was like, fuck me too. You know, (laughs) just like the same old shit that was, it was just like heroin, same, same sort of shit. You know, you go to all, you try to make it the whole day and then you just fucking cave. So then I moved out of sober living and I moved into my buddy Alex house and I moved into his garage that he had like converted over. I had lost my job because it was a long story, but it it was, (laughs) we don't need to go there. It was stupid. But anyway, this is the ice job. Yeah. This is the ice job. Yeah. And a hard stop right there. Make sure to tune in next week to hear the rest of my story and to hear a funny story about how I lost the ice job. You won't want to miss that. It's pretty ridiculous. Anyway, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Be Powerful Podcast. I know that episode was a little bit heavy. Uh, make sure to you know shake off some of that bad energy that you might have picked up burn your sage, do whatever you got to do in order to cleanse yourself. And if you haven't already, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and let me know what you think of the show so far. Also, please reach out to me personally. I'm open to any comments or feedback. You can follow me at bepowerful.life on Instagram. That's B-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot life on Instagram or email me at the be powerful podcast at gmail.com. Again, be powerful is B P O W E R F U L. Also, if you'd like to connect and learn more about Dallas and how he's making major impact, check out the rehab road trips website at www.rehabroadtrips.com or follow him on Instagram as well at Dallas RRT. Thank you very much. We will see you next week.